Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show Podcast. I'm Sterling Fox, and today, lifestyle coach Anna Reimer gives us a few pointers on making realistic New Year's resolutions we can actually keep. More Money Podcast host Jessica Moorhouse looks at saving money by cutting back on all those subscriptions we've accumulated. And criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee looks at the top five mistakes we make when we try to dispute a traffic ticket. So let's get started. Why are New Year's resolutions so difficult to keep? Everyone has a theory on that, including our next guest. A pleasure to say good morning and welcome to lifestyle coach Anna Reimer, owner of Anna B. Fit, joining us this morning from Sudbury, Ontario, home of Laurentian University, my old school. Anna, good morning and welcome. Good morning. How are you today? I'm just great, thanks. Nice to have you with us today. If I was to say to you, okay, Anna, uh, I'm finally going to resolve one of my life's aspirations, and my 2023 New Year's resolution is to become an astronaut. Uh, you're going to say, good for you, Sterling. Next. <laughs> so it's about, being, it's about being realistic, kind of, isn't it, uh, for you openers? It's so funny that you say that because it's so true. I have so many friends. I've seen people on Facebook posting they're going to do 75 hard. Um, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's the Andy Frisella program. It's like two workouts a day, no alcohol, a gallon of water, 10 pages of the self-development. It's extremely intense right. for 75 days. And I'm looking at these posts and thinking like, I mean, I'm lucky if I can commit to working out five days a week for myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm a professional. You know, I think we, we tend to kind of go above and beyond with this grandiose ideas that aren't really uh, attainable. And then we're kind of setting ourselves up for a failure. Well, yeah, in many cases. And it's almost deliberate in some cases. And if you're joking about it, that's one thing. But if you're even semi-serious, it's, you know, it's not, not going to be a positive moment in, in your life. So, uh, and I do note from research that, in fact, most, not all, certainly, Anna, astronauts being one of the exceptions, but a lot of people make New Year's resolutions around physical aspects, physical appearance, losing weight, uh, getting ready for bikini season, or whatever the goal may be, minus those super intense workout regimens you just mentioned. But physical appearance really does dominate when it, when we come to, it comes to us making resolutions, doesn't it? It really does. And I think that that's, that's a big thing. I mean, people have been joking about this for decades, about everybody starting back at the gym, and the gyms are crazy in January. Yep. And then they're, they're completely barren again by February when people fall off because they, they can't hold themselves to the standards that they hoped they could. Um, but for sure, the, it seems like the number one resolution is to get in shape or lose some weight, right. something of that nature, which is great. I mean, we should always, I think that that has to be part of a lifestyle, something that's a sustainable lifestyle um, integration, not just like, okay, it's New Year, so we're going to get ready for our bikinis by mm. June. You know, it has to be more about, I think that, that that sometimes is the issue, is that what is the reason, what is the underlying cause of you taking some action? And if it's because it's a bikini, perhaps it isn't the right reason that has, you know, that deep-seated uh, motivation like better health and wellness, mm. which, you know, I, I think would be a, a major shift in people if they actually did it for 
the right reasons. And Anna, Anna, isn't it also the case, and you're in the business, you see these packed gyms because you have one in January and the, and the dwindling crowds already in February. Is it in part because people set the, the bar too high and they actually hurt themselves trying to achieve whatever they, they, they set for themselves? Um, I'm not sure about that. I don't necessarily think they probably get hurt. It's a lot of people don't know what is the best way to work out or to gain functional fitness for their bodies. And then they go in there and they try to do what they think might be correct. Right. But I think that maybe, you know, being a little bit more, um, having a little bit more foresight about it and maybe thinking about it and planning it and talking to professionals that maybe can figure out what will work for not only their body type and their goals from where they are to where they want to be, but also it has to fit in with their lifestyle so that it's not unachievable just due to the fact that it won't happen. Yeah, you're one of those people that should be spoken to when it comes to... So basically, looking at your client base, Anna, what percentage of those people have actually come to you in the last month or two and said, look, I'm going to try and turn things around a little bit in 2023. I'm, I'm going to try and you know lose a little weight or whatever. Uh, can you help me organize a program? What percentage of your client base would actually be that committed and, and organized about it? Um, I'd say probably 50% wow, of them okay. want to do something a little bit more strict and have something where they they know it's coming, they, it's, you know, it's coming tomorrow. Um, and what am I going to do to get me myself to these goals yeah. now instead of, you know, all of these pipe dreams? So, but, but it needs to be really um, discussed deeply and that's my biggest thing is it has to be a sustainable lifestyle change it just can't be like this i mean i tell people are you going to work out in the gym until you're 75 years old if you are that's fabulous but if you're looking for fat loss uh, let's figure out something that you can do until you're 75 years old because if you only do it while you're 40 or 50 is it going to be sustainable for the rest of your life for you to feel like you're living in your best body right so again, it's it's not just the uh, the accomplishment of, of uh, whatever the short term thing may be, but how that short term objective fits into the big long term picture, right? That's right, and I think that's that's the biggest caveat that there is is finding something that you can do forever, whether that's pickleball or you just want to walk your dogs religiously at night. And I mean, most of my clients come to me for fat loss, which as you can imagine is, you know, in 2020, 2022, 23, that's the biggest issue in our world. Uh, But what we forget too is that 80% of the fat loss can be achieved through nutrition alone. So it's a very off balance scale if you will, because it's not being in the gym for two hours a day that's necessarily going to get you to your the, the body that you feel most comfortable in. It's actually the things that you're putting in your body. And the gym is, is just a little bit of a... Um, it's, it's like the icing on the cake, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, final question, and we're grateful for your time today. Uh, you mentioned the last couple of years, and a lot of us were locked up, and a lot of us just lost track of our, our lifestyles and fitness regimes and all the rest of it. Is that, is, so as a result of a couple of years of weirdness, is that really what the majority of people are talking to you about this year, some kind of fitness or physical uh, improvement objective? Absolutely. Everybody has, you know, we've, we've all kind of, I think some of us kind of embraced the last couple of years of COVID and lockdowns as um, 
the reason why we aren't at our optimal health and wellness. And now people are like, okay, things are normalizing a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. get back into how do we get back to where we were prior to the pandemic. And I think that's a huge thing right now for people just wanting to get back there. Or maybe they weren't at their optimal goals prior to the pandemic, but, you know, they've let themselves slip even more. I mean, sure. all of us have. It was a very difficult time for everybody with no gyms open and you know, not going out of the house as much as we were. So I think just getting back into, quote unquote, normalcy and moving our bodies and walking and going to the mall when it's minus 30 in Sudbury, <laughs> going for a walk through, through a warm place um, and just figuring out, you know, how, what is the balance? What does it look like to sustain life and get to our optimal health and wellness in nutrition and movement so that we can be happy and disease free as long as possible? Keep it real and uh, baby steps. Good couple of good right. pieces of advice. Absolutely. Yes. It's little chunks because if we take it on too much, we try to do these things like the 75 hard that I mentioned earlier. I feel like it's, um, it's a lot to ask of ourselves to make that much of a magnanimous transition. It's, it's much easier to go, okay, well, if I'm going to walk my dog every day, I'm going to get some movement. If I'm going to eat healthily, whatever that looks like for me, six days a week and one day a week, I'm going to eat out. Well, that's attainable. I can bite off that and chew that up. That's okay. Right. And if we can just kind of take those little tiny steps to be better, then we can live better and longer. All right. Anna Reimer, great advice. Great to have you aboard today. Thanks ever so much for doing this with us. And Happy New Year. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you as well. Many of us are looking for ways to cut back on spending, and some of us looking to trim down on subscriptions. Here to tell us more about that is the host of the More Money podcast. A pleasure to say good morning and welcome to Jessica Morehouse right here in Vancouver. Hi, Jessica. Hi, good morning. So we had Mike Agarbo on about a half an hour ago, and he rattled off a list of things that he subscribes to, and you'll recognize them all, all, you know, Netflix, uh, Mm -hmm. Disney Plus, Crave, and all the music ones, Spotify, and so on. How many subscriptions typically does the average Vancouverite carry these days, Jessica? Oh, gosh. Well, (laughs) probably uh, a lot. Um, There's been a couple surveys floating around which, I mean, they're not, they're not that surprising, but apparently four in five Canadians have at least one streaming service. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, beyond that, a good 17% have four. And so I think a lot of people have, you know, between, I think most Canadians have between one and four. I think that's pretty reasonable to say. Okay, and the typical balance on that would be what, about between 15 and 20 bucks a month each, right? I'd say so. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like it seems so reasonable. $15, what's that? You know, a couple cups of coffee or a lunch one day. But Mm -hmm. it's really about um, all of your subscriptions adding up and then you having those subscriptions for a long time. That is why all of these businesses have shifted from um, a flat rate to, okay, you pay one time and you get it to please keep on paying us forever, Mm -hmm. um, a subscription model. And we've sort of fallen into that too, haven't we? Because it's all on our credit cards or comes off the the bank account or whatever. It's so automatic. It's so built into what we do on a a monthly basis. We tend not to even think about it anymore, do we? Don't we? No, it's it's very normalized because, you know, like I said, most people have subscriptions. So if 
they have subscriptions, then we might as well get subscriptions. It's very normal, but uh, it can creep up on you really quickly. And most people do not, you know, look at their bank statements or their credit cards regularly. I mean, most people don't want to, right? Yeah, right, especially <laughs> this time of year. You're going to see something you don't want, That's right? right. Especially this time of year, right? And so you're going to see something you don't like. But that is honestly the only way to know where is my money going? Because I can't tell you how many times I've worked with a financial counseling client and they have, uh, you know, recognized when looking through their spending, one of the things I make them do, oh my gosh, I didn't know I still subscribe to that. Because one thing is sometimes these subscriptions are monthly, sometimes they're annual, and sometimes they do not send you a reminder when they're going to uh, charge you again for another annual uh, subscription. So that's really important. I think this is a perfect time of the year because often we sign up to a new subscription, especially annually, uh, around December, January. So this might be the time to look to be like, oh, am I going to be billed again? I've been getting a few emails myself. That's why I bring that up. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because I'm starting to get uh, stuff in the mail saying, you know, why don't you sign up for this? You will, we'll give you the first six months free. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after that, you can make the call on whether or not you want to go forward is what the ad says. So you go, well, of course, I'll take a freebie. Why not? Yeah. And and uh, and then and then what? Then what happens? Many months later, you start getting the notification, the little flash on the phone that says you've just paid sixteen sixty nine to uh, Netflix or whatever, and it comes and goes in a matter of seconds on your phone and go, oh right, and 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 again dismissed as quickly as it came, yeah. it's gone and, and 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 from your attention as well. So you getting back to your point about budgets and mm-hmm. or organizing yourself to actually take a look at a typical month makes a difference, doesn't it? It really does. And honestly, when you were saying that, I'm like, you know what? I put something in my calendar because I signed up for a free trial. I'm like, did I actually go in and cancel it? So usually my tip is put it in your calendar, maybe even a couple of times with some reminders to cancel that subscription. If you don't plan on actually moving forward, you did the free trial, you're good to go. But again, sometimes we forget. So if you did put that in your calendar, maybe look at your calendar again to be like, did I actually cancel that? I'm going to have to do that after this call. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because I, I know, and I'm, as I say, I'm just starting to see stuff in the mail, you know, these flyers that come in the mail and, and I've just noticed it. And I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking to Jessica about this. One came in yesterday, you see. So this is fresh in my mind as well. So again, when we take a look at the big picture, as in your monthly expenses in and out, cash in, money out, and whatever's left over, if any, uh, Mm -hmm. it it is surprising how much can be left over if you were to trim back a few things, right? Absolutely. And I think because, you know, often we have a lot of subscriptions, what we don't tend to do is take a look at do I still like this subscription? Do I, am I still using it? Maybe it made sense uh, last year for a few months, and then you dropped off and you stopped using it. So I'd say this is the perfect time as we enter the new year to do a little audit, as I call it, and go through your spending for the last year and see what's going on. What's being automatically you know, charged to my credit card or taken out of my bank account? And does it still make sense for who I am and my goals and my lifestyle right now? And if it doesn't make sense, cut it. You won't even notice it and you'll free up cash that you can then use on something that is more valuable to you, such as like reaching some of your you know, financial goals or paying off debt or anything better than just paying for something that you're never going to use. And as you've already suggested, Jessica, a lot of us are going to be surprised if we did that audit of our yep. monthly in and out expenses. Uh, we would be surprised, in fact, by the fact that we're still paying for things that we actually mm-hmm. don't use very often. Absolutely. And see, 
too, uh, you know, I know a lot of families or, or friend groups do this. Is there a way that I can share the subscription with someone? If you do that, you're cutting it in half and you can still, you know, enjoy it. Believe me, I have a lot of family members on my Disney Plus. <laughs> so, now I can't really get them off. <laughs> uh-huh. And Netflix is actually going to start cracking down on password sharing yeah. next year. It's become a thing, you know. I know. It's really unfortunate that they're doing this. I hope other you know streaming services do not follow suit because it is, you know, it can help a lot of people, especially, you know, young adults, uh, students, you know, it makes a big difference. Sure does. JessicaMorehouse.com slash podcast to learn more about the More Money podcast, which has been around for a few years. Jessica, great to have you on the show today. Look forward to another opportunity to speak to you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Pleasure to welcome back criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee from the Acumen Law Group in Vancouver to talk about a blog she wrote a few weeks ago entitled The Top Five Mistakes People Make Disputing Their Own Ticket. Kyla, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. Thank you for having me back. Well, it's good to have you with us. It's always fun to have you drop by for a visit. More fun in person, but we haven't done that for a while. So let's talk about this defending a traffic ticket. Oh, come on, it's traffic court. You know, I, 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 I can handle this. It, it, you know, what do I need to bring a lawyer in? It's, it's, it's a $35, maybe even $135 traffic ticket. I'm good. So with that kind of cheeky attitude, what are the mistakes people are most likely to walk into? Um, Well, the top five that I wrote about was not challenging the police officer's evidence, so not cross-examining the officer, um, consenting to evidence going in that may not actually be admissible because you don't understand the rules necessarily of evidence, not understanding how to conduct a proper cross-examination to call into question the evidence or the observations of an officer, Mm -hmm. not not understanding what the essential elements of the offense are that have to be proven and often patching that evidence up by giving your own testimony. And finally, and and I think this is the biggest one for me, not understanding the consequences of certain plea deals and negotiations with police as far as how they're going to impact you in the long term. Okay, well, let's go back to point one and we'll work our way down through it. Not challenging police officers on their evidence. So you go into the traffic car because you're still mad because you got a ticket and you think the guy was nuts and I'm just going to take him on. And so the officer gets up and states the situation and, and the uh, the circumstances, and then it's your turn to defend yourself. Uh, you don't realize that you can actually challenge the officer's testimony, correct? Yes, and you do that by cross-examining the police officer, but a lot of people don't realize that if they're going to tell a different side of the story than what the police officer has talked about, they actually have an obligation to put that to the police officer in cross-examination and ask them for their opinion on their story so that it can be properly tested in court. Okay, so the once the officer uh, is, submits his or her testimony, uh, the, the procedure in the court is, okay, it's your turn. So then as, as a civilian untrained in this, uh, you get, you, you get you, then you, you expect to be on the witness stand. You don't realize you've just missed a critical step in the process, which is questioning or challenging the testimony. Yes, and I've done several appeals where people missed that critical step in the process and they didn't get any help from the judicial justice to understand that that was necessary and then lost their case because they didn't take that critical step. So it's really unfortunate that it happens, but it happens a lot. I was just going to say, is the judge supposed to be like in your corner and go, you know, you can uh, challenge officer uh, so-and-so's testimony here before you give yours. Judges aren't going to tell you that, are they? 
Well, they're supposed to give you information to understand the process and to assist a self-represented individual without sort of stepping into their corner or advocating for them. Mm -hmm. But the level of assistance that's required is relatively minimal. They basically just have to explain the process to you. And if you, you know, don't listen or don't understand, that's, that's on you. So consenting to the admissibility of evidence that may not be admissible. What's that mean? Oh, a lot of times police officers want to leave things like statements that you made at the roadside that might be, you know, apologies or admissions for uh, for the offense. But those statements aren't always admissible. They have to be proven to be voluntary. And what happens in order for those to be proven that they were made voluntarily is the court enters into a special hearing called a voir dire. Um, but people don't understand that term. It's French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't understand the process. So if the judge asks them, is there any issue with this statement, the person often will say, no, there's no issue, even though if they did take issue with it, the statement may not go into evidence unless the officer follows that procedure of having that more dear. And as evidence you on the scene of the crime uh, that you're accused of and defending yourself against may have taken some photos with your phone and a few other tried to gather some of your own evidence. How admissible is all of that? Well, I mean, it is admissible, but you have to, in order for anything to be admitted, you have to establish that uh, that it's um, authentic, that it's reliable. So when it comes to uh, photographic evidence and um, and videos that you may have taken, um, you need to also have copies for the court. Right. People just bring their phones yeah, to court and right. they don't realize that, that if they want to play a video from their phone, their phone has to be filed as an exhibit and it becomes the property of the court. Nobody wants that. Ah, okay. So now... Not understanding how to process, properly rather cross-examine sounds fairly self-explanatory, but do you want to dive into that one for a second or two? You talk, yeah, I mean, you talk about the pinpoint method. Well, that's, uh, that's based on a book I wrote um, that uh, is um, essentially my method for conducting cross-examination. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of people, they see it on TV, and it looks really easy and exciting on TV, but sure it's, it actually, it's not. Um, It takes a lot of work and understanding on how to build sort of a foundation of questions to get the officer to say what you want them to say or to agree with your version of events or to concede a certain point. And people just tend to often go for that ultimate question, you know, you didn't see me on my phone, Mm -hmm. when they needed to actually lay the foundation for that to get the officer to concede, okay, yeah, I didn't actually see it. I thought that you were on your phone because I saw this after I stopped you. Uh Aha. So again, the stuff on TV is carefully scripted. All they're doing is just is reciting prescripted lines. Now, uh, not understanding essential evidence of the offense is, is, it sounds pretty important. What is essential evidence? So for every offense, um, there are certain what, what it's known as essential elements that have to be proven. So, you know, for example, speeding, the, they have to prove what the speed limit was on yep. the road, that you exceeded the speed limit. And if they measured your speed, there's certain things that have to be proven about the speed measurement method. Right. And that's the, the same for every single traffic ticket. There's different elements that have to be proven. And the problem is that people often don't understand what those are. So either they miss an argument where an essential element wasn't proven, or they adduce evidence that actually compromises their case Mm. by putting in the essential elements and then ending up convicting themselves. Yuck. Okay, so the last one is kind of important, not understanding the consequences of certain plea deals and negotiations with the police. Tell us more about that. 
for a lot of people, the reason they dispute their tickets is they don't want to lose their driver's license. Right. So they're worried about points or, you know, they want a fine reduction because they can't afford, afford to pay the fines. But lots of fines under the Motor Vehicle Act are actually mandatory minimum fines. So an officer can say, if you plead guilty, I won't oppose you seeking a fine reduction. But they don't realize that there isn't actually a fine reduction available. Uh-huh. Or they plead guilty to something that maybe has fewer points, but they don't realize that even that number of points is going to trigger a driving prohibition from the superintendent of motor vehicles. So they go in thinking they're avoiding what uh, they came to court to avoid and actually ending up with those consequences anyway. Wow. Uh, Kyla, final question to you. And it's always a treat to have you on the show. Thanks in advance. Uh, tonight. I'm going out for New Year's Eve. I hit a check stop, and I'm going to try and go through it. And uh, they pull me over and say, you need to have a blow, and you need to do this and that. Uh, uh, What happens if you decide to not be cooperative? If you do not blow uh, or participate in any sobriety test that's demanded of you at a check stop, you will be uh, either issued a 90-day immediate roadside prohibition or charged criminally with refusal to comply. So if you're asked to do it, participate in it right even though it may set you back and put you in a bad spot if you don't it's a worse spot exactly the consequences of refusing are worse than the consequences of being convicted of impaired driving right don't do it (laughs) and and what's that old saying he who defends himself has a fool for a client uh you didn't say that i did but that's essentially what your article told me (laughs) well i have seen people who self-represent win but it's the uh exception to the rule Kyla, thanks very much for this. I will look forward to a few chats next year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live 6 to 9 weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.